Hey there, I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. I'm a self-confidence coach for teenage girls and the self-confidence coach you wish you had as a teen. Honestly, I'm the self-confidence coach I wish I had as a teen because I know I could have saved myself and my mother a whole lot of heartache if I'd only known then what I know now. I hope to save you some of that suffering by sharing the lessons I learned late in life right here on Why Didn't They Tell Us. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey, happy people. Welcome back to Why Didn't They Tell Us. I'm your host, Leslie Randolph. And when I'm not here sharing the lessons I learned late in life or over on social as the Coach Chronicles, you will find me coaching teenage girls and teaching them the skill of cultivating confidence. Here's why. Self-confidence, that awesome alchemy of knowing who you are, loving and believing in her, my friends, that is the secret sauce to creating the life of your dreams. It's the key to creating anything you want in this one and only life of yours. And today's guest has done just that. She has done it again and again and again, and she has helped over a million women do the same. She is a living, breathing example of what happens when you love and believe in you, and then do the work to back up those beliefs. <laughs> Corinne Crabtree is a master certified weight and life coach with a mission to help every woman, woman break generational curses to improve their personal health and wealth. Corinne Crabtree is one of the leading voices in the weight loss and business industry. She's the host of the wildly successful podcast, Losing 100 Pounds with Corinne, which has been downloaded over 50 million times in 160 countries. After being a featured expert at the Life Coach School and having her business rank 1,052 out of Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing businesses in 2022, Corinne founded the No BS Business Women's Membership. The program provides online entrepreneurs with simple frameworks, tools, and focus they need to take action and build the business of their dreams. Corinne Crabtree, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I don't know that I've ever had such a welcome that was so enthusiastic. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, well, I didn't make that up. That is all true. That is you. I just rolled out the red carpet for you, my friend. And it is one that I am so excited to be rolling out. I'm so, so thrilled to have you here. All right. Well, you can, uh, if you ever come to Nashville, just follow me around being a personal hype girl. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, you know what's so funny you say that is I often describe myself when people are like, well, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a professional human. I'm a professional cheerleader for humans. That's what I do. So I will gladly take your, your wing woman hype girl. Any day. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So you guys, we're going to, I know that that bio was a lot, um, but I want to get into kind of like your why and the story of how you got to be that woman that I just described. So so tell us a little bit about your story and your background. Yeah. So when I was a kid uh, growing up, I was really overweight. Um, I grew So my mom was 17 when she had me. And then she had my little brother at 19. And by 21, she was divorced. <laughs> so it was just the three of us. We had to like do like most families when you're um, young and you got two little kids it was just a rough time. She worked minimum wage jobs. She did all the things. And while she was trying to create a, you know, just a safe life for us, I developed a lot of terrible eating habits. We ate at drive-throughs because we were always 
on the way to another job. You know, like we were going from babysitter to babysitter and swinging by home and she never had the energy to cook. So I literally grew up at Hardee's, McDonald's and KFC. Like those were the big three in the small town that I lived in. And we would rotate those three things. Then we got to where when I moved to Nashville, when I was born in Alabama at nine, we moved to Nashville and my weight started coming on. Uh, we were still broke, but we also lived with my grandparents and my grandfather had retired on disability. And so every day he made his hamburgers for breakfast and like whatever we wanted, he would just make it. Well, I was just eating all the time, mm. gained a lot of weight at nine, never looked back, um, really struggled with my weight all my life. And then in my thirties had like a come to Jesus moment. It was, uh, I was sitting on a couch. I had a one-year-old. He wanted to play and it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I didn't have the energy to play with him. I was well over 250 pounds, total postpartum depression, all the things. And that was the day that I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure this out. And in that moment, I decided I wanted to not only lose weight, but I did not want to do a diet that I could not put myself in a position to fail because I knew for me, it was like, whatever you do every single day, it's got to be something that you won't not do. So I just made really small changes. And over 18 months, I lost a hundred pounds, I had reinvented my life. Um, and I tell people this all the time. It's not what I did to lose weight, it was that inner transformation that I was doing that made all the difference this time. I had lost 75 pounds like it was a job several times through my 20s, through starving and pills and you name it, I did it. Like Weight Watchers, I was like a card carrying Weight Watcher member for, I think, I think my first Weight Watchers experience, I was 11. And then, you know, I'd go back to the well, just like every woman <laughs> when you hit rock bottom. And so I just did small changes, but I was cheerleading myself. When you talk about being a hype girl and a cheerleader and stuff, new Corinne is like, we're going to keep going. New Corinne doesn't think things aren't good enough. Like I was literally constantly talking to myself about how new Corinne was going to think about this situation. And uh, that was really what happened at the end. I felt good about myself. I had learned how to be a cheerleader. I had learned how to be the motivator. I had learned how to be the person who comforted myself when I felt terrible. And that was what made me feel so good at the end. And I knew I wanted to teach other women how to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I said in your intro that you are this living, breathing example of loving and believing in yourself, but that wasn't always the reality for you, right? Like that was part, no. that was a skill you had learned. I had to develop it. Like when I was, um, when I started high school, I had a really tough time. Like I had been really bullied in middle school and I went to Catholic school. So you go K through eight to one school and then you go to a high school where you're mixed with everyone from all the Catholic schools. And it's like starting over. I had a ton of social anxiety. I didn't know what was going to happen. I developed IBS. I developed an ulcer. Like I had a really tough time. And then I developed depression. And by the time I was 17, um, I attempted to take my life, was in a hospital for two weeks. Uh, they let me out just to graduate high school. I attempted suicide on Mother's Day of uh, 92 and um, 
they literally, I had to get a signed pass from my doctor just to go to my own high school graduation so that I could complete high school. So I definitely was not, um, I was not born confident. I was not born uh, as a self-compassionate person, a self-love advocate, none of that. Like I literally through my weight loss and my maintenance journey, because I've had my weight off for over 15 years now, it has been an evolution the whole time. It's been, and I tell people this all the time, it doesn't matter if you can have self-love right now. It The real thing is, are you willing to learn? That's the difference maker. And I was, I think I was just in a position, I knew when I was sitting on that couch that day, it was the closest I ever came to being in the same spot that I was at 17. Mm. And now I had a child, you know, at 17, you're just thinking, you're not, you're, you don't have a lot on the line when you're 30 and you're married. And I had a great husband. Like I still have him. I talk about him like he's in the past, <laughs> same man, <laughs> same great dude, but also this kid. And I, you know, the stakes were higher. And I, in that moment, I knew it was like, I gotta get my crap together. Like, we're at a crossroads and I know where this road's going. And that's when I was like, the only way I'm going to lose weight, set myself up for small wins so that I could easily talk to myself better and better every single day. I knew how important that was going to be. So it's a, for me, it's like, I just try to tell everybody it's a skill we develop. We are, you know, women, honestly, we're not taught it. No one tells us. It's not modeled for us very often. I mean, nowadays we all talk about it, but you got to imagine most of us are walking around as the uh, walking wounded yeah. of decades of never hearing this stuff. And then we get mad at our moms. I'm like, they didn't get this either. Why are we mad at her? She didn't know no better. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I often say, you know, the reason I'm so passionate about coaching teenage girls is because by the time you're, you're us, it's all this like reprogramming of our brains and reprogramming that thinking versus like getting in at the ground level of belief systems that like, no, you are worthy. You are amazing. You are lovable just because you're you. And right. that, that they, they have that skill at the beginning, right? Versus exactly. us undoing. And then yes, and then going down the, the road of blaming mom. Right. I did that for a while. <laughs> and I was just like, I really started pulling apart, you know, for a long time, like I was, I had transitioned to talking better about myself, but I was hanging on to anger that I had to do that for myself as if she should have known better. She should have done better. Like I, I, and it really hurt our relationship for a long time. And then um, when I became a coach, that's when I really decided, because I lost my weight before I became a coach. I lost my weight. I finished in 2007 and started my business. And I didn't even become, you know, like I didn't even get into self-development and coaching until 2015. I was just somehow, by the grace of God, figuring this out just naturally. And then when I got into coaching, I was like, I really need to work on this thing about my mom. I'm sitting here blaming. It's like, I feel good about myself. And then I feel disgusted about this. And I realized I don't want to, that's not the relationship I want with her. And so I really started thinking about how do, how do we get here? How did all of this happen? And it's been very freeing for me to just think about 
my mom didn't have a chance. She didn't have all the books and the podcasts and enlightenment and stuff. She was in just basically repeating what her mama did and then what her mama did. So I, that was just, I don't know. It was so freeing for me to let go of all that anger and just be like, I'm just glad that I did it. And now I want to have compassion for my mom who did the best she could. Absolutely. I always say that we're all doing the best with the tools that we have. And yeah, certainly our toolbox is much more robust than the women that came before us. And hopefully our, our future generations are, are better for, for the lessons that we learned late in life. Exactly. So, so the lesson you learned late in life would be, I mean, you've learned a lot of them, but that, that idea of loving and believing in you, and you talk about that often. You talk about like the small steps versus the overhaul. And when yeah. any of us are going after a goal, and, and y'all find yourself in this, right? You, you might not be losing weight. And I said to Corinne before we got on the air, that was never my goal, but I eat up what she says because it's always about going after any goal. So whether you're starting a business, whether you're losing weight, when you're trying to like go for the, the grade or the promotion at work, what, what are some of those small shifts when it comes to loving and believing in you that people can make or that you made? The first thing was, and I think this is common with women, is, you know, like I really preach the reason why I want you to take small steps is there's several reasons. Number one, the smaller the step, the more likely you are to implement it. I mean, it's just like if it's not overly complicated, you reduce your uh, risk factor by like you know a thousand percent. The other reason is small behaviors are easy to repeat. And so then you can kind of start getting them locked into your identity, locked into your system. The problem with small is that we are taught that it's not good enough. So one of the first things I teach people is if you really want to build a better relationship with yourself, you have to listen for how often you're telling yourself and stopping yourself on progress when you say, but that's not good enough. And you got to be real honest in that moment. Uh, for example, when I first started losing weight, I, I really had to figure out like, all right, what can I do? Like, what can I do today that's a little bit better than yesterday? And on my first day, I was like, I am going to be the kind of person who walks 15 minutes a day, no matter what. I really thought about it. I was like, there is no reason why a human being that doesn't have a physical injury can't just walk for 15 minutes a day. That is something you can even do inside your house if you need to. I lived in a tiny condo and when the weather was garbage, I would set a timer and I would just walk the condo, anything to just prove to myself that I could do it. But my brain would always say, it's not good enough. You know, you'll never lose like doing that. And I remember telling myself, look, what's not good enough is sitting on the couch thinking I need to do more. Like that's never led to success. Allowing myself to believe that small things aren't good enough, that's always been the problem. So I think for a lot of people, when you're first starting, the one thing we all have to watch out for is that inner voice. It's going to try to, it's like, it's trying to keep us just to do what we've always done. Even if what we are doing, we hate we know intellectually sucks for us. Like we'll have all of that going on, but we like, you've got to watch out for the not good enough voice because it's to me, that is like that one excuse that almost all of us have 
and we believe it. Yep. And it's not true. And so it's very important you tell yourself, here's why this is good enough. Here's what will happen. Like it only makes intellectual sense that if I get off my butt and walk, that has to be better than sitting on that butt and doing nothing. Like, so those honest conversations around not being good enough, I think that's really, it's so tangible and it makes sense. And it's like every one of us do that and it's something every one of us can do. Totally, totally. And then that becomes, when you then think about like that hype woman, that cycle of self-confidence, which is something that I think about, because then at the end of that day, you get to look in the rear view and be like, I did that. And then that becomes kind of like momentum for tomorrow, right? Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, as a former queen of (laughs) self-loathing. Retired. Like if there was a, if there was a Nashville chapter, I was the president. (laughs) One of the things I think is like on the back end is don't skip that important step. So like, in the moment, we try to rationalize this isn't good enough for some reason. And then at night, it tries to come back. Like when you when you look back, like if you're if you're like seeping into self-loathing, I mean, like you bathe in it, you have to really watch for yourself at night to not look back at your day and think it wasn't good enough. If you did anything, I always tell people, if you want the long-term goal, You have to take the early steps that the future version of you needs in order to be that person. If future you ends the day proud and, you know, like, like, whoa, you lost weight, you've become, you know, like a businesswoman, you've got a promotion. If she's relishing in all of her stuff, that means you today on day one through day, like 401 on the path to get there has to be proud of the small moments has to make yourself do it. You have to condition yourself to get into the habit of not dismissing things. Otherwise, you become someone who accomplishes a lot. And this happens so much. You train yourself to become someone who accomplishes a lot of stuff. And now you're in the habit of telling yourself, why now this is not good enough. This is going to be better. You need to be thinking about that. You cannot be sitting here celebrating yourself. And then you just, you never get what you always think you're going to get. Like we always think I'm going to lose all my weight and feel really good about myself. If you don't teach yourself how to find the good moments, how to acknowledge the good moments, you'll lose all your weight. You'll be proud for a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you're into this like, yeah, but I didn't fix this. Yeah, but uh, my butt still sags. You will find things that you still need to fix before you get to feel really good. So you'll stay stuck in that low energy. Yeah. And that's the antithesis of what we're talking about, that loving and believing in you. That's where you just like drain that well. Yeah. You just said something that was so important. And and I know it was a key to, to all your success was this idea of the future you. And you talk a lot about old Corinne thinking and new Corinne thinking. And I, I venture just from following you, but you, you dig into it deeper. New Corinne thinking came before new Corinne. Oh yeah, (laughs) for sure. Like for me, um, like when, and, and I always go back to these moments when I was losing weight, because I think it's the easiest to understand. I, you know, 
God bless you that you never had to lose the weight. <laughs> well, but, that's because ahead. I was born with a different burden. And that was that my, in my house, it was like, you just be skinny. Like you have to be. And okay, so, so it's, yeah, it's, so different, it's like the it's other different. side of the coin, but it feels just as crappy. Oh yeah. So for me, when I was losing weight, there was this one day where I had, um, and I'm going to tell you, I was reinventing myself like a boss. So I started well over 250 and had a brother that played all the sports. My best friend was a runner. Like everybody around me exercised but me. And I wanted to so bad. I remember being in elementary school and the PE teacher saying, uh, I'm going to just set you on the bench because mm -hmm. no one's going to pick you. And I don't want to put the kids in a position to have to pick you. And so I was just overweight. So when I got started on my weight loss journey, I was like something that was so important to me was I am going to be an adult athlete. Like I'm going to figure out how to do things. Like I'm going to end up running like all this junk. Well, I was training for a triathlon. I'd lost about 50 pounds and I was hovering over 200. And when you weigh over 200, you want to be under two. We call it entering wonderland. It even has a name. <laughs> like it's just, you know, we all fantasize about it. For six weeks, I hovered over 200, training for a triathlon, eating better than I'd ever had in my entire life, feeling like a new person. First few weeks, cheerleader Corinne was like, no sweat. This is going to come off. Stalls and plateaus are normal. Like she's just like, you keep going, girl. Week six, old Corinne came back and was like, F this. If we ain't losing weight, we should, let's go out to eat tonight. We should quit doing all this. Like, this is some crap. And I remember in that moment, I've told my clients this. It was almost like the heavens opened, the sun was streaming in my window, and new Corinne, because I'd been thinking, like I'd been making myself be proud and shutting down not enough. I had started formulating that habit that when that voice came in, it felt alarming. Before it felt normal. It was just like the voice. Yeah. The truth was talking. That day, new Korean came in and said, no, that's old Korean thinking. Every time you've gotten on a roll, you've allowed yourself to think that when you're upset or whatever, that you should quit. There's no way it makes sense that we should quit doing things we enjoy simply because the scale's not going down. And I just told myself, new Corinne keeps going no matter what, because this life's better. And it only makes sense that if you keep doing these things, eventually the weight will come off. And I was like, maybe I need to re-examine things. Just make sure I'm not missing anything. But quitting is definitely not going to help. And that was that day where I was like, hey, I'm really becoming a different person. But that's why I think it's important that we're listening to ourselves because you never know when you're going to need new Corinne to come in. Because a lot of times your old voice, it may die down when you're getting success and stuff. But every person who's on a journey to accomplish something is going to hit rough patches. That's when old thinking loves to come back in. And you want to have trained yourself to have another voice that you can turn on when you need it the most. Most of us just want that old voice to just go away. And I'm like, I don't think the old voice ever goes away. 
And I don't need it to go away. What I do need, though, is the skill to turn on my new thinking the moment I know I need it. Mm, That's so good. And I love what you just said. And I think that this is a skill, too, that like an alarm went off in you of like, no, that's not how we think anymore. Actually, that voice is not true. I can choose to believe that voice, but I know where that voice gets me. I've yeah. been there. This yeah. new voice, I don't know where she'll get me, but I sure like where she's gotten me this far. <laughs> exactly. She's doing a much better job than that other voice. Yeah. And I also, I, I want to just pause on one thing that you just said for, for the cheap seats in the back. Um, that This was six weeks into a journey, my friends. Six weeks of hard work, triathlon training. And she had hit this, we'll call it a plateau. And I think- No, I had been going for months. Okay. I hit a plateau that was six weeks long, which in weight loss terms, might as well have been a year. (laughs) And and in business terms and in life terms, when you're doing something and you don't see movement for six weeks, I think any human brain is going to give you that kind of thought of like, it ain't working. And if you choose to believe that, you know where you're going. Right. You have to. So I love that you had that alarm that went off and and said, like, Mm-mm, this ain't this ain't the Korean we're listening to anymore. Love it. Um, so we know the journey and we know that you're in maintenance because this is a forever journey for you. Right. Yeah. But how has your life changed since you learned the skill of loving and believing in you? Well, it changed everything. So, you know, I don't know that I could have started a business. So when I started my business, this is what's so interesting. And I never really thought about it this way. I started it in 2007. And starting a business in 2007 was a hell of a lot harder than starting one in 2023. Like we have so many tools. We didn't have the social medias back then. Like nobody was using that kind of crap. I mean, maybe MySpace was a thing, if that dates us at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know I had a MySpace account for a hot minute, then it went away. But if I hadn't learned how to talk to myself positively, how to encourage myself, how to redirect thinking when I was scared, uncertain, um, and that kind of thing, I would have never took the risk of starting a business. Like I think about my early entrepreneurial journey and it wasn't riddled with lots of fears and doubts that this won't work. And that's because I untrained myself to have lots of fears and doubts. I had trained myself to just try things. Let's just see what happens. That's what I did all the way through my weight loss. And then it paid off and I was ready to build my business. I didn't have to go through the fire of all the doubt. Now, that I don't want anybody to mistake me. I've had plenty of doubts and fears along the way. But I just remember in the early days, I was dovetailing off of, of the weight loss success where my brain was just like, it only makes sense that we should do this with other people. And it only makes sense that if I lost weight through being willing to try things and some stuff work and some stuff not, and just be like, all right, that didn't work. Let's try the next thing. It made my early entrepreneur journey so much easier. So like that whole reinvention of just how I thought about myself just in weight loss and in body 
it did transfer. It transferred with my mothering. My um, my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of five. And, you know, I had lost my weight. I'd started my business and then wham. At his like we were told he has autism and life changed on a dime in that moment. And I remember overeating the first night, like going back to my old ways yeah. and telling my husband, I've hit my emotional bandwidth today. I just want to eat pizza. And tomorrow I'm regrouping. And I told myself, you will regroup tomorrow. In that moment, I needed to just reset. After that, I went all in on him. It was very scary. And I remember so many times telling myself, if you can figure out weight loss and you can start a business, you can help this child. And, you know, that journey required me to really love myself because I went through stages of feeling extremely guilty as if I had done this to him, that I like, I didn't try hard enough to get him diagnosed early. I blamed myself so much, but I had my back through all of it. I didn't let it stop me. Like I kept going because I just kept saying, you could figure out your weight. You could figure this out. And I mean, I just think as women, as mothers, we we have so many self-inflicted wounds all the time. And one of the reasons why I've loved learning how to talk to myself in different ways is I've stopped inflicting wounds on me. You know, there's enough that's going to come from the world. You know, like the world's going to give you a thousand cuts. You don't need 10,000 more on top because you're doing it to yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to give you a hug. Uh, it's all right. I cry all the time. Listen, I'm I'm like, I cry all the time. <laughs> it's one of my skill sets. <laughs> but look at this. This cycle of if I can do that then I can do that. Because my friends, there are a million obstacles that the world is going to throw at us. And if we have breath in our body, which is a blessing each and every day, those obstacles are going to keep coming and we can't control them. Yeah. But you can control the soundtrack in that beautiful brain of yours and what you're going to choose to believe. And Corinne believing if I can do that, I can do that. It didn't just help her son. It did, right? It, of course oh, yeah. it helped your son. And now I, because I know he is thriving and he is incredible. Oh and yeah. He's there 20 was, now for all your listeners. Uh, when he was five, he barely talked and like, he always had the capacity to say words, but he didn't know how to communicate. So like our form of autism is different where he wasn't without language. He was without like meaningful communication, being able to sequence a story and things like that. He spent years and years. I remember him sitting in the floor every day after school. His ABA therapist would come over. We would have time where we just took sequencing cards and it started with two cards. Which one comes first in the story? And now he he writes. He's a coder. He um Smart is a freaking wit. He can tell you anything you need to know about world history, world politics, the universe, and the and just he's a great kid, you know. And me back then, I I didn't know what was going to happen. You talk about uncertain. There was no way to predict what would ever happen, but we just kept putting one foot in front of the other with him and telling ourselves, like I've always felt like we were supposed to have him. 
um, my husband and I have always been um, real givers. We will do anything for anyone. We're very determined individuals. And um, I just know we were given him for, uh, he was given to us for a reason because like God knew we would sort, we would sort this out. (laughs) And you did. And then just to underscore that point, he started with two cards, two Two cards, cards. small steps, guys. And now at 20, a coder. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Um, I know I'm looking at the time. All right. We're going to keep going here. Uh, Current loving and believing yourself. It is a skill, but it is, it, it takes time. So what suggestions do you have for my, my lovely listeners of like how, what, what you start doing and what you stop doing to cultivate that skill of loving and believing in you? Okay. The first thing you have to start doing is, and this is the most painful part to love yourself. You have to start listening to the voice that doesn't love you. And I, and I want to tell you all this, and this will help you with this step, which is all of us have a voice inside of us that sounds like it doesn't love us. And this is the important part. It sounds like it doesn't because it talks to us like a jerk. It's a shrill. It may sound like our mother at times, <laughs> like it's got all the things. I really do believe that every thought and every feeling has an intentional, loving, real reason why it's there. It's just over time that voice has taken on like a sound or a method or a way of communicating that feels really bad. When you are willing to really listen to it, then you can start finding like, what are the hidden meanings behind it? So when like inside my membership, I talk about the four ends. And this is what this is about. Like, how do you how do you change a thought? So the first one is you have to notice. So you've got to be really willing to listen to all of it because you don't want to miss some of them. You don't want to um, ignore some of them, whether you decide to pay attention to those thoughts or not. They're there and they're creating energy in you. And they're like, they're subconsciously driving you to do things. So it's really important that you be okay with listening. The second end is called normalizing. And to me, this is the most important step of all. This is where we simply look at a thought or a feeling and we talk to ourselves about why this is normal. Why might I think this? If it was trying to tell me something beneficial, What does it really mean? Where did it start or where did I hear this from? Those are all really good questions to ask when you're normalizing thoughts. I wish more people would spend time listening and really just kind of understanding what these thoughts are versus just like, I hear a bad thought. I need a good one. Because the normalizing is where you make peace with anything that your brain has to offer. This is where like you and old Corinne, rather than being adversaries, you're now working together to become the new Corinne. So we all are going to work in concert. The third end is just neutralize. So once you have, you know, bathed in the normalizing part, (laughs) most people feel so much better there. They don't actually have to change a lot of their thinking. It kind of just organically happens. But if you got one that keeps coming back over and over again, Neutralizing is where now we're just going to make it really factual. It's like, okay, 
I get that my brain says this story or creates this thought. And this is why I know this is normal and not such a big deal. But here's really the only thing that's happening. Like when I just really look at it for what it is, if I was going to take a thought and slide it under the microscope as a scientist, this is all I would see. Then the last step is the next best thought or action. You just decide ahead of time, like, all right, when this comes back, here's what I might want to think instead. And you make it accessible and tangible. And I tell my clients this all the time. Your old crappy thoughts will always feel true. So just like, that's not a problem. Just because something feels true doesn't make it the truth. It just feels true to you. So when we do the next best thought, do not stop coming up with ideas until something actually feels true. You need it to feel true. Otherwise, if you're just trying to slap better thoughts on top of your old stuff that don't feel true, truth will always win out. So the best way to finally change how you think about yourself is whatever you're going to say to yourself in the moment your old truth comes, if it feels true also, it's very natural to want to lean into the direction of what feels better. Then your brain gets a little dopamine. It's like, oh, it's such a better way to think about it. That feels a little better. Maybe I'll just start thinking that. That feels true. It will like eventually rewire you and reprogram you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love those four ends and they're so critical. And I also love what you said, Corinne, about um, old Corinne and new Corinne working together, not mm -hmm. adversaries, right? Because she is who got you here. Yeah. And and we need to make peace with that and not, not be mad at her because she's doing the best she well, can. She is doing the best she can. She got formed for some reason. And She's coming along for the ride, whether you want her to or not. Like, I'm just like, strap in, like, put your seatbelt on. I'm going to take care of you. But new Corinne drives the car now. Like, you're not the driver. She's often the, uh, the what do you call it? The side seat driver, the back seat driver. That's totally. her role. Look out like, for that. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's like, no. We're on track. Don't worry. GPS says we're fine. I still got the wheel, honey. <laughs> yeah, I, I often say that like she can have a say, but she can't have the microphone. But I love exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. You're driving. You're driving. And uh, and we need her to get there. And we needed all those versions of her to get you where you want to be. And that's for all of us. Um, so... <sighs> Corinne, as we think about old Corinne, and we've gone on this journey a bit of from the beginning to now, and oh, I can't wait to see where you go next. You know, what was something you would tell your teenage self? Um, what would new Corinne tell that girl who was put on the bench and who didn't even get a chance to not get picked, as that gym teacher said? What would you say to her? First, I'd give her a hug because she was always hurting. <laughs> So, and I have done a lot of inner child work and gone back and visited all the different versions of me. And I keep a picture of the 12 year old version of me on, I, I have a wall here that has like, it's not the conceited wall. It has a lot of pictures of me, but I always like to see myself in like really important moments and in life, like succeeding and stuff. But I have her over there and I hug her a lot and I just tell her. It all turns out way better than you think. 
Like, that's probably what I would tell her. It's just, you keep going, you're a survivor. And I think that's the most important thing that I think about old Corinne is that um, she was never bad. She didn't harm me. She hasn't done anything to me today. She was surviving all these things and literally doing the best she can to get to the next day, to the next milestone, to the next thing. And it was messy. And new Corinne's going to be messy too. Like there's going to be a version of me one day that looks back at this 48-year-old version that I think is pretty cool right now. And she's going to be like, girl, I wish I could have just told you this. Like you didn't need to like, you know, work so much. Like all of us, when we reflect back on our past, you always got some uh, feedback for them. <laughs> There's always that, but I just hug her and tell her it's going to be okay. You're a survivor. You keep going. And I think I would probably tell her, um, like, there's versions of you that will always come back and take care of you. Whatever you do, you're never going to screw us up so much that we can't keep figuring out how to move forward. So just move forward. Yeah. Keep going. And I just want to, as you say that, I want to go back to something you offered on on the night that you had gotten the diagnosis. And you were like, I need pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and tomorrow we regroup. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say that to anyone who has been where Corinne has been, whether it was the 17-year-old that was hurting so badly, she didn't think she could keep going. Or when you get devastating news and think, I don't know if I can keep going, just keep going. Yeah. Look to tomorrow because you might turn out like new Corinne, changing millions of people's lives. And so I am so thankful to that version of you, to this version of you. I said to Corinne before we got on, I I don't know if I said it also, like weight loss was, it wasn't my message, but loving and believing in you to create the life you want, that is always something that I will listen to. So my friends, please find Corinne. You can find her on Facebook. All these notes will be in the show notes of the show, Um, but you can find her and just get this dose of love and belief and so many tips to apply it in your own life for whatever it is you're going through. Corinne, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want my listeners to know or to consider or? I I think no matter like what your age is, like I have a 21 year old niece. It's like, talk to your young girls. Tell them that like all the things that you were never told that you wish you were, tell them they have to hear it. That I really believe this next generation is going to be the generation of women that really come out more powerful because so many of us in our like 40s and 50s are doing this work. We have so many young women we can influence. Don't underestimate just influencing the women in your life and what a ripple effect that's going to have on the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Corinne, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, for everything you are. And uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have had this time with you. All right, my friends, till next time. Love what you hear. Well, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at confidencecoachforgirls.com. That's confidencecoachforgirls.com. Or email me at lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. That's lesliethelifecoach at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.